Welcome to Let's Talk About Star Wars. I'm Tom Merritt, joined, as always, by Jenny Josephson. Yes! But not as always, not by Garrett Weinzo, because he's on a little holiday. Happy holiday. Happy anniversary, Garrett. Woo! Everybody deserves time off. Exactly, especially in this day and age. But we can tell you that he is blown away by episode one. Uh, So if you want to know what Garrett's thoughts on episode one of The Mandalorian are, uh, we are going to set aside a little time for Garrett to like rant and rave about it in the next episode. Um, But we also have our own thoughts about episode one, The Mandalorian, Justified. I'm sorry, The Marshal. Yes. (laughs) I think the most important first question to ask you, though, Tom, is you watched Justified, didn't you? Oh, yes, I okay. have. Okay, and right, Deadwood, so we're on even... and Fargo, all yes. of which feature <laughs> Timothy Oliphant <laughs> as a marshal. He's really, I feel like he's on the grand tour of the marshal character. I, and maybe yeah. next year there won't be any, but I love it, and I think he loves it. And I think it's like embedded now in pop culture to, to back up in case you have not watched Justified, in which case get thee to the streaming. Mm. Uh, Timothy Oliphant is a fantastic actor who I think struggled for a while to find his way when he was young. He was in The Girl Next Door. He did a bunch of like kind of villainy turns. He was on a show oh, right, called Dead. He was Dead. a diehard villain. I forgot all about that. Yes. Yeah. Like he's been around for a while. And then he did um, Deadwood and he played a good guy with a other side and a hat and then he was in this fantastic more than a procedural procedural called justified where he had a hat Mm -hmm. and he was a good guy but with a little dark side and then that role was so popular and so the the pairing was so profound that he then this past year went on a victory tour to the good place to Fargo, and now to Star Wars, essentially uh, playing that character. And it's now, great. Was he a marshal in The Good Place? I, I didn't remember he, that. He literally played Timothy Oliphant as uh, his justified character. He played himself, though. He played right. himself, okay, but at right, one right. point they put him in the costume. Like, the, the costume. whole point yeah, was yeah, justified. Yeah. So, uh, uh, so, yeah, like, when he showed up in Fargo and was a marshal, I, I laughed. I was like, okay, yeah. that's great. Uh, when he showed up and they change the character from the Chuck Wendig interstitials from a sheriff to a marshal, I'm like, okay, now they're doing, this is totally on purpose. This right? is on purpose. We're being yeah. trolled. I tweeted, we're being trolled by Timothy Oliphant and casting directors everywhere. Yeah, because who doesn't want to see that? Like, I'm sorry. It's like he is the marshal. Like the U.S. Marshals Service should give him a medal for right. making them look so darn good. He should be good. an honorary marshal. Yeah. Ay, ay, ay. Anyway, so we went off on a little lowly fun yeah, tangent. But basically it's a very simple plot, right? The Mandalorian returns to Tatooine in search of another Mandalorian and gets involved in yet another, as I will credit Justin Robert Young, uh, what did he call it? A pro- Another problematic Western trope. Yes, Uh, in which the local law enforcement requests help from the lone stranger and his baby uh, that require teaming Mm -hmm. up with the native people of the planet, in this case, the Tusken Raiders. That's what happens. Now, this has, if you haven't watched Westerns, has too many tropes to count. Uh, When you first see Mando uh, ride into town on his horse slash speeder, uh, you 
you see the the citizens of the pueblo. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. Mos Pegos, Mos uh, Pueblo, Mos Pueblo. Uh, sit, you know, looking at him oddly, uh, haunted uh, by their lives. I mean, this is out of every Western uh, of the 20th century. Uh, you have the local native population slash bandits. Uh, who are who are terrorizing the town, uh, and only only one man can save them uh, from it, and it's our lone hero who's rode in to help uh, the local law enforcement. I mean, that's not exactly what's going on in the Mandalorian. They make tweaks to it, obviously, but that's the trope we're playing with here. Yeah, and again, I should say that even though the word trope has even itself become a little tropey, <clears throat> uh, a trope is not a bad thing per se. It's all in how you execute it, and I think uh, Justin Robert Young's second tweet. Uh, was clarification of that, which is that like the Mandalorian should take and fix just about every troublesome Western trope uh, that exists. And really, that's in my feeling like Star Wars is based on a lot of that anyway. So it's really to me, it feels very returning to core principles of Star Wars, which is what the Mandalorian, I think, does so well. Um, so, OK, so we but we don't start on the planet. We start right. on this cool graffiti city with a lot of night critters. Um, And I I think my favorite thing about that was the graffiti. Uh, I I felt like I wish, uh, like I was glad that scene existed, but maybe I really wanted to get to Tatooine faster, but I get it. Uh, You had to do a little bit of repiloting, and that was probably the most interesting way to do it. Yeah, um, we're we're showing you something different. I think that's important when you're going to go back to Tatooine to get away from that knee-jerk reaction of, oh, here we go, back to a place we've been a million times, right? Yeah. You, you, you cleanse the palate by saying, here's a totally new place you've never seen before, uh, and it's it's a dirty, used universe— uh, and it's, you know, that the, another trope that's not a Western trope, but that like underground fight club where you have mm-hmm. to know the right thing to say to get in. And uh, and everybody's, a, you know, a little shady inside. And the only reason you're there is is to get the information and get out. And can you do it safely and all of that? I mean, that's a whole episode there in the opening scene. Mm hmm. Um, and I love there's something I noticed about the Mandalorian that I couldn't put my finger on last season that Din Djarin has this funny way of just being completely open about his business. Have you ever noticed this where he's right. just like, I have been quested and I'm going to tell you How, everything he said about that, like, my quest. Three times three times. this episode. Yeah. Uh-huh. Cause the first time he said it like, Oh, that's the line from the trailer. And then the second time I'm like, well, maybe it wasn't who knows what yeah. you know, any of these like, could have been. <laughs> he's very direct. And, and I, I, I feel like I last season, maybe I was like, this guy's so basic. And now I'm like, Oh no, he just very clearly states his intent yeah. So that nobody is confused. Do you gamble? Uh, I try not to. Like, yeah. he doesn't say he never does. He gambles with his life all the time, right? Yeah. But he's just um, like, yeah, I'm not gonna if I don't have to. But was, he also, he, right. I also thought it was not uncharacteristic necessarily, but it was unusual of him to play fast and loose with the language of, you will not die by my hand, mm-hmm. but you're going to die. <laughs> like, as mm-hmm. soon as he said it, you knew like, oh. Uh, he's going to let him die. I see. So long, John Leguizamo, uh, who was the voice of that, by the right, way. Right. Even And, and it, it was only one word where I caught it, because otherwise he had done such a good job with his voice work. Um, and uh, my favorite part of that scene was just him kicking the baby Yoda egg out of the way, which was like this, like the most loving pram kick you've ever seen. And I just I thought it was great. Like the the the. 
The thing with Baby Yoda now, since he still can't so much talk, and we've already seen him do his powers, is how many different ways can you make this puppet move and feel alive that's different than last season? Because that last season has been gif gift to death. We know every frame. Like, we understand. So how are you going to make that different? And I thought this episode did a lot. Um, this episode had a lot of ear play. It did a lot with the ears. Like, the ears were flapping in the wind, and they were the moving up and down. And I thought like there were new things with the ears that I thought that was a distinguishing feature. And I'm super curious to see what they're going to do with the puppet work to make it um, feel new and alive. Well, the one thing I will say uh, uh, considering the entire episode is baby Yoda did feel like he was just there because people want to see baby Yoda. Yeah. He was never essential to the story except in that he has been quested to take this child. Like he had to have the child there because that's the reason he's looking for the possible Mandalorian. Uh, But, but otherwise I kept waiting for, you know, baby Yoda to reach out and crush the crate dragon or, or, you know, throw the bartender or or something, but no, he didn't do anything. He's just, he's just there to look cute this episode. Yeah. And that's a classic repiloting. And also it's very much of the Dave Filoni, uh, Star Wars philosophy, which is get everybody in as much as possible and save the force stuff for later, which, you know, is my favorite stuff. Well, and and you by this time, they had to have known when they were creating this episode how popular Baby Yoda was if they mm-hmm. didn't expect it before. Uh, so, so of course, you, you get some shots of, get some reaction shots, some good stuff for the trailer of him closing his egg. The only thing I didn't quite understand is why he didn't use the floating egg the whole episode. Why did he put him in the papoose? Yeah, I guess because it's closer to the body and he didn't know where he was going. Maybe, or maybe just it's as simple as he was going to roast in the, the egg on Tatooine. Mm, maybe. It doesn't have air con. In doesn't there. have air yeah, con. That's possible. Uh, and then also, uh, uh, I, I really wanted him to give Baby Yoga a set didn't of goggles. did he have the egg on Tatooine before? He certainly had it on a desert planet before. He did. Yeah. So I don't know. But. Uh, I wanted him to get Baby Yoda a pair of Baby Yoda goggles because don't yeah. you think there was like a lot of sand and blowing in Baby Yoda's eyes when they were going definitely, through the desert? Definitely. Although the look of joy on Baby Yoda's <sighs> face as they were speeding out to, so. to Mos Belgo—that's so that great, amazing. Um, go ahead. I was not going to say anything necessarily uh, insightful or wonderful, uh, just to to bring us along to to Amy Sedaris coming back, uh, yeah. which. I enjoyed. That was a surprise. That was a welcome surprise. We didn't spend too much time with her. It, w- it wasn't egregious. It, it was it was motivated. He's landed on Tatooine. He's obviously going to land at the place he knows. Uh, and and it was nice to see a character from Mandalorian that we're familiar with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, to try to you know to walk that tightrope of we don't want you to feel like we're just retreading stuff. I think it was important to start somewhere different come back to Tatooine with something within Mandalorian that's familiar and then go somewhere different on Tatooine with with little pieces, you know, like the the bots that he's like, yeah, fine, I'm softening up on on the on the droids. Let mm-hmm. let him work on the the thing. Uh and and seeing, you know, bones in the desert, you're like, "Oh yeah, that's a Tatooine thing. It's not the same bones, but, you know, that's that's what you're going to see." Mos um I keep getting the name wrong. Mos Pelgo. 
mm-hmm. uh, having the you know the little evaporator post because uh, that's probably common. Everybody on Tatooine's got them, but it didn't look exactly like every other place you've ever been because everything's up on stilts. And you're like, huh, why is that? Why are they up on stilts? And then you find out, well, because a crate dragon comes rolling through every so often. And uh, it's kind of important that, you know, all your your house doesn't just fall down into the sand. Yeah. Um, so uh, hold on. <coughs> so one thing that I want to say up top, which is you've already mentioned Chuck Wendig's excellent aftermath series and the little interstitials that featured uh, he pronounced it. I thought he pronounced it Cad Vance instead he did. of Kate. Yeah, he, he did. did. Cad like Vance. a Cad Bane rather yeah. than a Cade Vance. Yeah, yeah, it was really interesting. But there's another book I want to briefly mention because this episode owes a huge amount to the Obi Wan book of the Legends canon or the extended universe or whatever we're calling it, which was one of the last Legends books to come out before Disney bought Star Wars and they kind of kershuffled the whole thing. There are so many elements of that book that have found their way to the Mandalorian in this episode, which is like the Tusken Raiders as real characters with depth like i felt like i was ahead on the tuscan raiders because i had read that book and i knew so much more about like their wrappings and everything and even though that book is out of canon go read it because it's really rewarding it's a good book it moves fast it's got favorite obi-wan and it's got a lot about the tuscan raiders there was you know obi-wan gets put in some of the same situations that the mandalorian ends up in and there's also a crate dragon so anyway i i wanted to uh, i can't remember the author's name but i really want to give them a lot of credit because those are some very enduring ideas that showed up in this episode to the benefit of this episode yeah i do like uh how he's handling tuscan raiders as not saints, not like, oh, they were always just misunderstood and they're the perfect mystical people, uh, yeah. which could he could have done that, right? He could have gone that direction. You've just misunderstood them, but they're just different. They're a different culture. And yeah, they do raid villages. That is what they do. Uh, but that doesn't make them evil. It just, mm. you know, it it makes them in a gray area. Uh, and, and I, I really like how that is handled of like, you're, you're no saint either, but you two societies have been at odds over resources on a resource constrained planet. That's, that's a, you know, tale as old as time. Uh, but now you got to cooperate if you want to keep this crate dragon from destroying both of you. Yeah. So, uh, the Mandalorian gets to town and let me tell you the, the double level of screaming that went on in our household (laughs) when, uh, Timothy Oliphant walks in, not only wearing very obviously Boba Fett's armor, right? And you're just like, oh, but you're like, that is immediately not Boba Fett. I don't know who that is, but it's not because of the body. And then I, we know Timothy Olyphant's voice so well that we were just like, ah! like literally we're like, oh, ah, ah. oh, it's, like, uh, we yeah. Just, I mean, if you couldn't tell from his body language, which watching yeah. it the second time, I was like, man, I should have realized looking yeah. at him uh, as soon as he spoke. You're like, oh, my God, that's Timothy oh Olyphant. Oh, my God. Uh, and so uh, we were really excited. And then just like he, I just want to rant. I'm going to rant for about Timothy Olyphant for a second. And the level of subtle yet hammy stuff that he brings to a role like this, which might, is best embodied in the moment when they're about to have like literally a shootout in the bar and then the earth rumbles. And the way that uh, Cod Vance's eyebrows raise and he just puts up that one little finger like i'll be right back to this dramatic moment yeah but i need to go attend to this i was just like wow this this premiere is in very very good hands and if like you like that ugh, go watch justified because that's real and givens 
Yeah. That is not Seth Bullock. That's Raylan. Raylan. <laughs> Raylan. Good to see you in Mos Pelgo. Although, although I, and I know I keep spoiling uh, your reveals, but <laughs> there was a Deadwood connection. Yes. In there. This is so exciting. Uh, I, you tell it because I did not watch Deadwood. I just looked this up. Okay. So the Weekway uh, bartender uh, is played by W. Earl Brown. He was Dan Doherty. Uh, who plays a bartender in Deadwood. <laughs> yeah. So even though we've got a Raylan Givens take on the Marshall uh, from Timothy Oliphant, there's a little Deadwood uh, reunion going on there. Yeah, little Seth Bullock, little, uh, little just little like... Dan Doherty. It's just a Timothy Oliphant appreciation episode. And I'll tell you one thing it does is it really makes you want to see Pedro Pascal's face because you forget how much faces do in television. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And how much Timothy Oliphant work is being done there versus how hard I think Pedro Pascal is acting on another level to bring you emotion and bring you tension and bring you suspense while he's helmeted. I really wonder, like my my dream is for him to meet Sabine Wren and for her to be like, you do not have to wear that all the time. <laughs> and then, uh, how, how much of you was thinking Sabine when he's going past all that graffiti, by the way? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm telling you, something's going to happen there because, anyway, Darksaber. Um, and, like, one more Timothy Oliphant thing, and then I'll be done, which is, uh, again, this episode is marked by, like, a lot of common sense. So, like, when Mando signs up the town with the Tuscan Raiders because they need more people, Timothy Oliphant goes back and doesn't say, like, I need you to do this. I just need you to do it. He literally just lays out the case, like, I'm in debt to this guy or he's Mm going to kill me. He definitely can kill me. Like, uh, here's what we do. And we need to do it with these people because, and I was like, something about this episode is also talking about common sense. Yeah. And I, I really loved that. Like, even though it's a Western, it's sort of a new England town hall vibe, right? mm -hmm. Like, okay, we're all part of this community. Here's our options. And he's not running it by force. Yeah. That, That was a key takeaway is like, He's not running that town by force. He's not the bully of that town, which could have gone that way. Um, I don't know. I really loved it. And I it felt very Star Wars in a way that sometimes this period of time does not. There so. was something about this whole episode that felt like 80s Star Wars to me. Uh, and, and Mandalorian feels a lot closer to that original trilogy in a lot of ways because it's, a, it's the lived-in universe because it's just post-Return of the Jedi and all of that. But there was something here that just really made me think of, you know, playing with Star Wars figures on the living room carpet uh, as as a kid. And and maybe it's just that R5-D4 shows up. Uh, maybe oh, that, that was all it took uh, to set the tone. But but yeah, there was something very, very Empire Strikes Back era Star Wars about this whole uh, whole episode, I felt. Yeah. Have you read, um, from a certain point of view, the most recent one? Not the Empire one. No, I've got it. But I, 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 I made my way through the Star Wars related one, but not this recent one. So there's there. Did you read the story about R R five D four? In in the Star Wars in the first one. Yeah. 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 So I that has wedded me to R five D four forever, and it makes me very happy to see that he is in a, a happy place. And that's With all I will say. With the bad motivator uh, scars, that you're like, oh, that's where, they, where there is bad motivator. Pop. We'll be seen hmm. Um. Okay. So. Uh, I think we could go straight to the uh, phenomenal scene, uh, extended battle with a crate dragon, which how long have crate dragons been referenced? But frankly, have you ever seen one? The uh, the first 
appearance of a crate dragon is just its skeleton. Yeah. In the in A New Hope. Yeah. Uh, there have been references in animation. There have been references in books. Uh, and there have been appearances in video games, I think. Yeah. But, and it's yeah, taken more than 40 years. I, but I I don't think we've ever seen one in 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 uh, video in, yeah. in in what do you call it live action video yeah. spectacular. Uh, and I know that people are going to be like, oh, Dune, you know, it's a sandworm. It's like, well, yeah, Tatooine was Arrakis. Uh, George Lucas pulled from all the best sci-fi uh, to create this universe, and that's what he did with Tatooine. So of course, uh, you'd have some sandworms out and about. I don't mind that at all. Nope. Don't mind it. And also, how else would that thing get around? Like, <laughs> it makes total sense to me. And and I just want to take a moment and, and say, like, the any time that that thing moves through the sand, like, particulate animation is so difficult. It's like water. It's like, and they did it so well that I was just like, uh, oh, my God, I want to roll around in that sand because it felt <laughs> so real and you could see it falling in its mouth and like it, it fl- flying all over the place. And it was just like, what a well executed digital effect that it just for a TV show. Yeah. And you wouldn't you wouldn't be uh, I, I wouldn't fault you if you forgot it was an effect. If if yeah. right now you're going like, oh, right, I didn't even think about the fact that that was an effect. Like, yeah, that that wasn't real sand <laughs> in the street that it was going through, right? It was incredible. Yeah. And the bat and the volume, the way the, the 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 desert backgrounds looked like, oh, the possibilities. It just was spectacularly beautiful. Um, so, uh, yeah, then there was a big battle with a crate dragon and some flying and a little bit of Jonah and the whale, which was... I think it says something about this episode for me that the most boring part of the episode was a fight with a crate dragon. And that's yeah. not me saying it was boring. I'm like, I was riveted by this episode. And it wasn't until we got to the fight with a crate dragon that I felt there was a pause because mm-hmm. there was a, a pause as we waited for the crate dragon to come out, right? Like, mm-hmm. I was like, oh my God, I'm just now catching my breath because we need to build up some tension for this fight. So good, so good. And uh, I, I just loved and was so thrilled by the two of them uh, flying up in the air at at phase two of the battle. Phase one had not worked, right? And that was Mm -hmm. all very dramatic. But phase two was these two guys against a crate dragon just taking off like pew, pew. And it was so awesome. I don't know why. It just like thrilled me to no end to see Bubba Fett's armor working. And like uh, the motion, the physical motion of when uh, Cad Vanth would flick the little eye thing down, Mm kind of just lean over and shoot a rocket. I thought was so well choreographed. Like they'd really thought about that, you know, like it was, it was a very specific casual yet focused motion. And I, deeply appreciated it <laughs> there there are weaknesses in this story here and there too uh, sure uh you know the idea that they would all just shoot at this crate dragon knowing it would have no effect at yeah. all like the crate dragon wouldn't even care it's like okay we're doing this because it's all we have right yeah. uh we're doing this because we want to we want to have everybody involved and we want to bring these two societies together i didn't mind that's that's the difference between a well-executed trope and, and a ham-fisted one is mm-hmm. you gave me enough other good things that the shortcuts you had to take, which 
all stories have to take shortcuts were hidden. They were, they were covered and I'm like, yeah, they probably, you know, so they're all shooting at this thing and it's not really doing anything. Uh, it doesn't matter. Right. It, yeah. it, there's enough substance to the fight still, uh, that I'm, I'm willing to forgive it or, or not even notice it really, because I'm too distracted by everything else that's going on, including this idea that he's going to just like, uh, uh, somehow save the marshal by breaking his jetpack so that he can fly inside of the crate dragon and electrocute it from the inside. Uh, I, you know, like, okay. He's a man who works on instinct. Let's yeah, just say. Yeah. Yeah. That, that should bother me. And it didn't. I was like, yeah. eh, eh, we beat the great dragon. That's all I cared about at that point. Yeah. I mean, Jonah and the whale, uh, Iron Man and the giant flying thing from Avengers, like, you know, 800 different versions of this. Uh, but it doesn't matter because uh, he electrocuted him from the inside and then blew him up with a with a suicide bomber uh, bantha. Also, uh, they didn't even have to say it was an abandoned Sarlacc pit. They only said that so they could say the only thing that makes it a Sarlacc abandoned its pit is... A great dragon. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's structuring the dangers of yeah, Tatooine yeah. for you. I mean, yeah. Obviously, there is some um, fan service, but I think someone I saw from The Mandalorian was like, why not? Like, isn't that why you're here? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was a and, very good and if, answer. And if you do a good enough episode, I'm not going to sit there going like, this episode was boring and you also had this silly thing. I'm going to be like, this Jayden. episode was great. And that silly thing... I'm not even thinking about it, which is what happened to me on this yeah. one. Uh, I kind of thought that the armor would stay with Cad Vanth. Like, he kind of earned it. It was really surprising to me that it went with the Mandalorian. And I think the only reason it did is because someone's going to follow him along and try to claim that armor. Yeah, apparently that person is Timoera Morrison. <laughs> uh-huh. That was a good one. That was a good one. Because I was like, the second I, I fell for it, the second I saw... Timothy Oliphant and the Boba Fett. I was like, oh, Boba Fett's dead and he's the new kind of guy with that. Oh, well, because, okay, let's let's step back for a moment. Uh, yeah. We get we kind of get two different versions of how the sheriff slash marshal gets the armor, depending on whether you're reading the Wendig novel uh, or or the Mandalorian. But I, yeah. I think you can chalk that up to like, well, you know, all, tales are told differently. And, yeah. and essentially he got it from Jawas is, is all you really need to be concerned with here. Uh, it is impossible to me that Boba Fett survives the Sarlacc. Mm -hmm. It's also highly unlikely that the armor survives the Sarlacc. So I'm very curious if we get an explanation of how that happened. Did he get ripped out of it early? Did he, did he pull a Mando uh, and, and electrocute it from the inside and fight mm -hmm. his way out? Uh, why he was able to get out and lost his armor is also very, a very curious story. If that's Boba Fett, because the right. other possibility is that's not Boba Fett. That is a clone yeah. because they would it, all look the same. They would all look the same. I think um, for them to have another clone or Captain Rex or whatever you want to call it on Tatooine would be a misdirect that wouldn't work. So my be hard to make that work. It'd yeah. be hard to make that work without people feeling like without they got feeling disappointed, joinked. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I feel like it's probably Boba Fett. Uh, I I wonder how they're going to interact with them. But it also makes sense for it to be Boba Fett because outside of Captain Rex, who else knows so much about the Jedi? Right, right. Uh, and, and Boba Fett would probably have picked up a lot about Obi-Wan 
and mm-hmm. Luke uh, and mm-hmm. the tales. He met Obi Wan. Yeah, that's the crazy part, right? So, so yeah, it's it's interesting because when you think about it logically. He went to Tatooine to find a Mandalorian because he Mm -hmm. thinks finding other Mandalorians is his best chance of getting information on the Jedi. Uh, But he doesn't find a Mandalorian. Uh, And the idea of of, uh, (sighs) Mos Pelgo not being on the map seemed a little shady. Like, why Mm -hmm. did it suddenly disappear from the map? Mm -hmm. Uh, So it doesn't follow like, okay, he was looking for a Mandalorian at a place that I'm perfectly existed. I'm not sure why it disappeared from the map because there's a lot of people living there. uh, And the mining company took it over after the empire fell. So why would they get rid of it from the map? Uh, So I'm not sure if there's an explanation there or if if that's just storytelling haze. But he doesn't find a Mandalorian. Like, I think a Mandalorian's about to find him. He could have, well, he could have, like logically he could have showed up saw that, oh, this isn't a Mandalorian and left, right? Except his honor required that he repossess the armor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because we know Mando likes to help people out in need, he wants to fight the tra- crate Dragon. So that mm-hmm. that all works. Uh, it's it's just that, well, he, he didn't find his thing. And when, I guess when he went to Mos Pelgo, he thought maybe there was a secret Mandalorian mm-hmm. there that he, you know, was worth a shot. Uh, but all of that is to say... Uh, yeah, maybe he shouldn't have gone to Mass Pelgo, but I think we're going to be really glad he did. Yes. And I think um, my only question about Boba Fett that was never actually answered was, it, was his dad and thereby him actually a Mandalorian? I don't know if his dad was an actual Mandalorian. Do we know that? Was Jango Fett? Oh, yeah. No, because they have a Mandalorian crest. In fact... Uh, well, that's one thing I noticed when he, when, when, uh, the marshal walked up in the armor, I was like, oh, that's definitely Boba Fett's armor. It's not just armor that looks like Boba Fett. Cause it's got the fat crest. So yeah, uh, he, he, he was a, he has the fat crest of the Mandalorians on there. He may not have been, he was a mercenary, so he may yeah. not have been, you know, part of the can you know, the canonical Mandalorians, but he wore Mandalorian armor and and the Fett, House Fett had a crest. Yeah, they um they say in one of the wikis that uh, although he wore Mandalorian armor, the government of Mandalore saw him as nothing more than a common mercenary and insisted he had no actual ties to the Mandalorians, which is um uh, the concept of who is and who is not a Mandalorian is a little fuzzy, especially now. Right. So, I think I think he you could consider him sort of an excommunicated Mandalorian. Right. 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 Fair enough. Fair enough. So, uh, yeah, so we're about to get some very interesting, um, things happen. Uh, I think in, uh, at least episode two, uh, I'm trying to think if Boba Fett and Ahsoka never hung out in rebels, did they? Or in, um, clone war, there was no episode with them together. I don't think I so. I think there was. Okay. Right. Cause there was a little Boba Fett orphan guy running around, Coruscant at some point. Yeah. Well, and, and Boba's in a bunch of uh, of Clone Wars episodes working with all the other mercenaries. Yeah. Like we see his origin story as a bounty hunter throughout Clone Wars. So something, some, some, some version of that is going to connect somewhere. Um, and yeah, this was just a hell of a return. Uh, I will say. Whoo. It was on paper 
uh, I was saying house fed. I should be saying clan fed. Clan fed. Clan fed was an ancient Mandalorian clan that could trace its lineage back as far as the Mandalorian Wars, drawing its name from the translation, a transliteration of the word vet, the Mandawa word for farmer. Hmm. Hmm. Um, so I, 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 I don't think on paper this episode is good, right? Mm-hmm. If you just write, if I tell you like, Mandalorian shows up on Tatooine, uh, goes out and fights a crate dragon and wins Boba Fett's armor from a guy and then takes off. You're going to be like, oh, so that's just fan service. They go back to Tatooine and find Boba Fett's armor. <laughs> right? It, it doesn't play. It's all in the execution. This episode had me from, well, I'm a Timothy Elephant fan at this point, right? So it had me from there, but it had me at R5D4. It had me with the graffiti. Like it just kept showing me things of different kinds that were like, oh, that's cool. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, why is he doing that? It was a a bottle episode for all intents and purposes. He didn't Mm -hmm. make much progress on his quest, Mm -hmm. but it was a great one. It was a repilot. It was a very elegant repilot and Mm -hmm. I loved it. Um, and, I, you know, I, I don't know. I could talk about this 20 more minutes or I could just say, I guess every once in a while, both suns shine on a Womp Rat's tail. Uh, yeah, a lot of Womp Rat references. A lot of Womp Rat. One. Maybe one too many Womp Rat references. Maybe, maybe. Uh, maybe. Also, the Gamorreans were not on Tatooine. Yeah, so they travel. I guess everybody travels. There's, yeah, I guess so, right? Like Twilight's it, travel. Everybody travels. Yeah, everybody travels at this point. Um, but uh, yeah, I loved it. I just loved it, loved it, loved it. And I'm really excited for more. And um, I just can't wait for next Friday. I cannot wait either. Uh, oh, one more thing before we wrap this up. Yes. Uh, I, I'm curious how you watched it. I watched it in the morning on Friday because I saw something on Twitter about a character showing up early. And I was like, that's almost a spoiler. I Mm -hmm. don't want to get spoiled. Let me at least just watch the first 10 minutes of it so that I get that character showing up, which I think was R5D4. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, and then I'll, you know, I'll watch the rest later. Couldn't, couldn't stop. Yeah. Didn't have time. Didn't have time to watch the whole 50 minutes. And I did anyway. And I just made time. Uh, It sucked me in. I didn't want to watch it and it made me watch it. And then, of course, I watched it again later that night. How about you? Same exact thing. We we, uh, weren't going to watch it till tonight because we really wanted or Friday night because we really wanted the cinematic experience. And then it was just so great that we were like, oh, and also like I knew our time on Twitter was not going to be long. uh, (laughs) Unspoiled. Uh, and thank you, everyone, for not t- tagging us with your spoilers this time. Uh, and um, it really was just couldn't stop. And then I was like, I have to watch it again. There was so much there. And so I took a couple notes while I watched it. And yeah, so I, twice. And 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 uh, I won't watch it anymore because I want to preserve its memory in my mind of fantasticness. Uh, and I will just spend this whole week thinking about uh, what comes next. I think this is the first episode I felt excited to watch twice since game of thrones yeah since game of thrones season six even yeah yeah uh well uh happy anniversary uh to garrett uh thanks to the andrew allen trio for our intro and outro music you can find more of their work at andrewallenmusic.com uh and until next time this is the way i have spoken (laughs) 